Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We're lawyers, mothers, and co-hosts of the bipartisan podcast Pantsuit Politics. We have more in common than divides us. In a world that defaults to false dichotomies, we explore the messiness of living wisely. The choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life. Thank you for joining us for a new episode of The Nuanced Life, everybody. Today we're going to talk about work. We're going to talk about Kelly's decision to go back to work. We're going to talk about Kristen's really wonderful experience at work and about Faith's work as a homesteader in this really lovely meditation on the month of August. Before we get started, we wanted to remind you that I'm over on Instagram and the IGTV posting a news brief Monday through Thursday, and our kids pop in on Tuesday. We'll see what's going on with that in the school year. But anyway, if you'd like a quick and easy updates on the headlines, that's a great way to do it. And I post the audio from those news briefs in our Patreon page if you'd like to become a patron of Pantsu Politics. So check both of those out. Kelly is going back to work after staying at home with kids for 13 years. So she had an eight-year career <laughs> in the workplace 13 years working at home with her kids and now is going back to work full time. And she said this process brings up every emotion and insecurity you have. True for all of being a mom and a human at the same time Mm -hmm. (laughs) and thought it might be an interesting topic for us to chat about. Listen, I have so many experiences with career relaunch. This is my longest career, actually. (laughs) Being a podcaster, because I graduated from college and I spent one year working at Planned Parenthood of Central North Carolina. Then I went to law school. Then I worked in the campaign. Then I worked for the United States Senate. Then I came home and was stay-at-home mom. Then I did an, an amalgamation. I taught. I did some social media consulting. I blogged until running and becoming a city commissioner. And then when I lost that, really just moving to being a podcaster full time. But like, listen, I'm all about the shifting, changing, reimagining. I think that it's it can it can wear on you. It can become hard because we have such a cultural narrative that like you pick your job. I mean, not as much as we used to, not as much as even when I moved home 10 years ago. That narrative has shifted dramatically, and and certainly COVID is accelerating the idea that you stay in one career. But there's just still this narrative, I think, that like you pick a career and you're in it for a long time. Or just, I think, launching and learning how to answer questions about what do you do? You know what I mean? Especially if you're moving from staying home for a long time, which that's a hard question to answer when you stay home with kids. And then moving into more of a, a career, if you feel like you're sort of starting over, then you feel like you have to give all these, oh, but I, I stayed home and this isn't I new. Like, so I would, my, you know, part of my reflection on all the times I've switched is like, just don't make apologies and don't give all those asides. Oh, but I did this, but I did this. Like, because it implies you need to 
like prove your worth or outlay the the delicacies of your identity to this person asking you, quote unquote, what do you do? So lots of lots of grace when we're we're relaunching and shifting and changing directions a lot for sure. I've been trying to really intentionally focus on not immediately asking people what they do for a living anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I've changed quite a bit as well. I practiced law for six years. I became an HR executive for five years within my law firm. Now we do this. I have some clients and do business coaching. I have zero plans for what's next, which would have shocked 21-year-old Beth. You know, 21-year-old Beth wouldn't even recognize a life where you don't have at least a five-year vision. I love the softness that I feel around work now. And even within the work that Sarah and I do, as much as there is a rhythm and a consistency to it, you know, we put out three podcasts a week and they release at the same time every week because we want to respect the audience. We've developed a real softness around how we do it. We've had to because of COVID-19, because of having our kids home. But even when we haven't had to, we've done it because we need a break. We're feeling some burnout or the family wants to take a vacation or my sister's about to have a baby. You know, I think that for me, the last five years, probably the last 10 years, have been about chipping away at the notion that work should be allowed to activate every emotion and insecurity I have, to use Kelly's words. That's hard. It's not entirely possible. I'm never going to have that at 100%. But I do more and more feel settled in the idea that I have a really good collection of skills. And Mm -hmm. I can use those collection of skills to work as hard as I want to for myself or someone else or not. And that all of that is allowed, uh, that all of that is better for me and for my family than where I used to be oriented, which is I have a degree and a title and a program and a track that I'm on. So I really would even reject the notion of starting over now if I stopped working Mm -hmm. for myself and went back into a more traditional workplace. Yeah, one of the best sort of aha moments I had surrounding all of this was Cal Newport's, I think he did a TED talk where he says, like he really pushes about against that narrative of just find your passion. That's Steve Jobs. And I would argue Oprah driven narrative. You know, I love Oprah and it's not a criticism. It's just an observation. (laughs) But uh, and I think because I think the feed your passion while or like find your passion while it was a good I think it started well. I think it was well-intentioned, but it adds to the pressure of that sort of identity-driven career narrative where I think Cal Newport, exactly what you're articulating, the idea that like you're just building skills and you're always building skills, even if it looks like on paper you're quote-unquote starting over. That's not true. You're constantly evolving. You're constantly gaining insights. And the idea that they're not applicable because you are starting a new tab on your resume. I mean, do we still do resumes? I guess we do. A new a new section of your LinkedIn page. That's just not true, right? Like that's all applicable. It all builds off each other. I've constantly been building writing skills. I've constantly been building analysis skills. I've constantly been building a network of people, of experiences, of perspectives. And I think that that's totally valuable whether or not it would seem when you're answering the question, what do you do, that you're that you're really shifting careers. 
my observation has been that the dynamic in homes, and Sarah, you can speak to this more effectively than I can, the dynamic in homes where one parent has deliberately moved out of the paid-by-someone workforce to manage mm-hmm. the home and children tends to develop in women an unbelievable set of project management skills because mm-hmm. they're doing the whole thing. We've never had that yep. here because I started my career working out of the home in a very demanding profession. And so did Chad. Like we have really coordinated. Chad manages a ton of the house. But when I think about what if he had been working and I hadn't from the beginning or for most of the period when our kids were little, there would be a ton of things that I had to handle alone and through that develop financial management skills, project management skills, organizational capacity that would be extremely valuable to so many companies who hire people to do those jobs who've never had an ounce of the experience that lots of stay-at-home parents have. So I just think the more, you know, the biggest piece of advice I would have if you're someone who's thinking about making a shift like this, whether it's to a new career or back to a career, whatever it is, any kind of shift is to just name for yourself without feeling like you're, you know, bragging or inflating. Just be honest about Mm -hmm. what you are capable of doing, because I promise you it's a lot. Yeah. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. We also got a commemoration from Kristen. We've talked quite a bit here on The Nuance Life about people who are working in companies that have not figured out how to handle the fact that we're living through a pandemic and have not Mm -hmm. figured out how to handle the fact that their employees are human beings. Kristen, fortunately. Is this a a common problem, Beth? (laughs) I would argue that it is a devastatingly common problem organizationally and societally. But Kristen, fortunately, is in a really good situation. She says, I feel so grateful to work for Twitter. They recently announced we don't ever have to return to an office if we don't want to. But really, throughout this, they have supported us at every turn. I've had to take time to support my parents, and it is never questioned. The only question I get is a genuine, how are your parents? Leadership has encouraged managers to be flexible with employees. They encourage employees to take whatever they need, prioritizing ourselves over the work. Canceled performance ratings, not review, so we continue to grow and improve. Paid contract and other employees not able to complete work outside the office. Entire departments have mandated a day off for their employees. Created programs where senior leaders read books to our kids. Where we gather to talk about our feelings, challenges, celebrate each other's diversity, and create space for our continued development and connection. Our platform has provided fun ways to keep in touch and share our experience. In addition, they have provided us additional funds to set up an appropriate work from home space. The list just goes on and on. And yet we do still have important work to get done, goals to achieve and business to grow. And we are more committed than ever to get it done. I know that many companies can't do all that Twitter does, but I think if you even lean in a little around supporting your employees, you get better, more committed employees. 
Our employee mottos are love where you work and love who you work with. The evidence is all over Twitter if you search on these hashtags. My job is not a challenge I have to overcome. Sometimes my motivation, but not my job. I think a lot about those who are more challenged and are without work and pay. I try to shop local, make donations to programs that support people that are without. It's not much, but hopefully with others, we can help some. I pray we get through this and people get what they need through this time and hoping that those of us with a little more do a little more. I mean, I'm just going to say this. <laughs> I know it is popular, and it also is a thing I enjoy to beat up on the tech platforms. But if I'm picking, if I'm like picking a tech platform I have to work with of the four that were testifying before Congress a few weeks ago, it might be Twitter. And not just because of her email. I think it bubbles up in lots of other ways. I agree with that. And I also want to say, Kristen, I'm delighted for you and your colleagues The only thing in your email that I want to push on a little bit is that I don't think every company can do this the way Twitter does it, but I think every company can adopt this mentality. Mm -hmm. There is a level of care and openness in communication and fundamentally a trust for employees that permeates these kinds of decisions. Because Kristen didn't write to us about like a break room with a slide in it or mm-hmm. ping um, pong table. Exactly. She wrote to us about Twitter saying, if you can get your job done from home, feel free to work there. It's that level of trust that is accessible to anyone who employs anyone else that is missing from most work cultures. And that is the key to work cultures being happier and more successful. And I guarantee that when Twitter says you don't have to ever come back to your office, it makes a substantial number of their employees want to come back to the office. You know, just the, the trust flows in both directions. And the more just like in any relationship, the more you give that sense of I trust you, I care about you, you matter to me, the more you're going to get it back from people. And I think to the to the ping pong table observation, I really like the articles that are like, these platforms are reaching middle age, so what does that mean? I think you see the, the evolution in the age of the company and the evolution of its workplace environment that as the employees get older, as the company itself gets older, you you grow and mature and you realize that like the ping pong table was a fun recruitment tool, but it's not really what people need to maintain long term and to be able to sustain an environment that serves the goals of the company. And, you know, I think maturity is an acknowledgement that there is a lot of like short term pain for long term gain in all of life, but I think in HR as well. And you know, there's I think there's scarcity mindset to overcome. There's fear to overcome. But when you like you said, when you can step out and you can trust, you will see the long term payoff. You won't be you won't have as much turnover. You won't have people protesting your company with strikes and walkouts and media cycles. And I mean, I think that 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 just it's not just about the investment and in trying to get new people, but it's the the zapping of time and energy and just processing power that dealing with those sort of crises instead of really getting to the root cause of the culture. Yeah, I like that you said processing power, because I think a lot of times we forget that the people around us have as much going on inside their heads as we do in ours. Mm-hmm. You know, when I went to um, I've been talking a lot about Beach Acres Parenting Center, the organization I am on the board for recently. And I went to one of their programs when we could still do in-person programs, <laughs> and they mm. had us write down the characteristics we would use to describe the best boss we've ever had. Mm. And then after we did that and read them through, they said, these are the ways your children should describe you. 
So it's oh, kind wow. of the flip here. It was like the, the qualities of a good boss are really the same as the qualities of a good parent. And you can take that in the other direction. I was reading this Wall Street Journal profile over the weekend of Tim Cook about how unbelievably successful the transition mm-hmm. of Apple from Steve Jobs to Tim Cook has been and how unusual that is. Yeah, I saw that. And I really admire a lot about Tim Cook that has made that so. But as I got further into the article and read about how people get extremely nervous coming to meetings with him because he is so detail-oriented, because he interrogates people so quickly, because if you start speaking and he feels like you aren't sufficiently prepared, he'll just say next and move on down the agenda, that people have left those meetings in tears, I thought, I take back my admiration. Because Mm -hmm. you can be so successful in so many ways, but if you aren't really nurturing and developing people, what's the point of any of it? I mean, what mm-hmm. what is the point? Not to say that Apple hasn't done amazing, revolutionary things. Apple has changed the world, no doubt about it. Job well done, Steve Jobs. It's what you wanted. You got it. In amazing and terrible ways, Apple has changed the world. But I don't want to have anybody in an environment that would describe it differently than Kristen. I don't want Kristen's message to feel like an outlier for the vast yeah. majority of people because it doesn't have to be. You don't have to have Twitter or Apple money to treat people the way that makes Kristen feel like she feels. I know the article on Tim Cook was in part reporting on Apple's record profit, so I'm not sure that this is the best evidence for this. But I don't think it's just that you... Don't need a lot of money to do that, but I think it ultimately does save money. It is an investment. Investing in your employees is always going to pay dividends. You know, I know it sounds trite and it sounds cliche, but I think it sounds that way because it's true. Every moment you spend managing employee crises or managing a toxic culture is time and energy and effort that can't go into growth or profit or whatever the case may be. I think that's right. I've spent a lot of my career trying to make that case to other people. Where I am today is that always it depends on what time frame you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Because certainly there are times when... How do you define short-term and long-term? Exactly. So always it depends on the time frame. And the other thing is... I I am kind of at a place where I'm sick of having to make that case when if you look around, everyone's in agreement that maximized profits don't really do anybody any good. Yeah. Even if you're the executive who's delivering those over and over, it's kind of like the straight A student. At some point, you can never win. You just don't lose. You know, you just mm-hmm. meet expectations because the expectations are constant growth. But nobody celebrates anymore, you know. I think that occasionally the results are so astonishing that they get celebrated, but those results are usually pretty fickle. And I really want us to just be in a space where American business, and I think some places are getting there. Twitter seems to be a good example of this, where American business as a whole, imperfect as it will always be, at least has a vision of what kind of society we want to live in and the fact that they hugely help determine what that society looks like. And we just don't need anybody from the top executive to the most junior, poorly paid employee struggling the way so many people struggle physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, spiritually because of work. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I think this is a good transition to an incredibly lovely message that we got from Faith about the month of August and homesteaders, because homesteaders live in the world of growth and homesteaders live in the world of the real work and intensity and exchange between short term pain and long term gain that I think we talk around a lot when we talk about company cultures and we talk about growth and profit for growth and profit's sake. She says, homesteaders won't tell you about August. We'll tell you about April, the soft green grass, the uptick in egg production, the sight of a bee feasting on a dandelion. We'll tell you about October, the sheer quantity of pumpkins we harvested and how the first frost quieted everything down. But August, we won't tell you about the endless to-do list, the sunburn and bug bites, despite your best prevention efforts, the weeds that won't quit in the garden and the honey waiting to be harvested, how all the books you thought you'd read on the deck at twilight are crowding your nightstand because you fall asleep one page in. We won't tell you how inviting the hammock looks and also lonely because no one has had time to grace its presence in months. We won't tell you how tired our backs are and how dirty our hands, nor how much we wish we had time to spare for a half hour of rest. You know what else a homesteader won't tell you about August? That in the dark cold of February, we will bemoan how much we miss August. I love that from Faith. I think that's so beautiful. It reminds me, I'm reading Kendra Adachi's book, The Lazy Genius Way, and I really like her. We've had her here on the show before, and I like her whole philosophy, and she has this really lovely section on living seasonally. And I think her underlying point is less about being tied to the seasons in the way that Faith and other homesteaders are, but more like learning from those seasons. And I think that Faith's description of August translates really well into how many of us feel about having tiny baby children or aging parents or, you know, other seasons of life that are just complicated and difficult and exhausting. I'm sure how many of us are going to feel when we look back at COVID-19 time where we were really trying to understand what this pandemic means and how it's going to affect our lives that it's just a mixed bag, right? And while you're in it, you feel the heaviness of it more than the light. But then later down the road, you can look back and see that light. And I just I really love the way Faith has captured that. Well, I think in discussing career shifts, it's that linear mindset that really we just got to let go of. We're not going to get to the finish line. We're not going to reach a place where we can really relax and there won't be anything on our to-do list. And wherever we are will have its own tension and its own discomfort and its own struggle and its own, you know, back pain. <laughs> I always think about the moment in Animal Vegetable Miracle, and I would probably guess it's around August where you've, you know, you've made it through the winter, you've planted all these things, you finally, everything is flourishing, everything, the harvest is in, and everyone is uh, swimming in squash and literally like 
sneak dropping bags of squash at other people's houses because there's just so like every little moment of the calendar has its struggle, even if it's in a, in a struggle of abundance of too much work to do, of too much harvesting to do because of tired backs and dirty hands. And I think, you know, that's that's true. Even in the cold of February, it's a different kind of struggle. But there's no point where we reach the finish line and the struggle is over. I mean, there is, but I don't think that's the one we're all longing for. <laughs> I think that it's it's that it's that linear mindset where we'll, we'll just get through this list. We'll get through this struggle. COVID will be over. The school year will start. The school year will be over. We'll be on vacation and everything will be OK. And there won't be anything on our list and we'll all be perfectly comfortable and relaxed. And that's just not. It's not how life works. It's not how life ever works. Yeah, there are only choices. Like I've been thinking a bunch about how I used to tell myself that I think I told myself lots of versions of rest is a reward for when the work is done. And now I'm like, oh, rest is a choice, not a reward because the work is never done. There's always something else you should be doing and you got to rest so you can do it. And I want to read more. Okay, well, that's a choice. That's not it's not like the people who read more than I do have less work to do than I do. They're just choosing differently. They're shuffling things up and making life more sustainable for the long haul by doing that shuffle. And I really I want to get better and better at that. I'm not very good at it yet, but I want to get better and better at recognizing that really setting my priorities clearly for the long haul is the best way to take the beauty out of every season, no matter what it is, and survive the hard parts, because that will always exist too. Well, we hope that you all could take the beauty and survive the hard spots of wherever you are in your current journey, be it related to August or career changes or toxic work culture or parenting or marriage or whatever the case may be. And until we join you again next week on The Nuanced Life, we'll be over on Pantsuit Politics on Friday, hopefully talking about Joe Biden's vice presidential pick. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces The Nuanced Life. Elise Knapp is our managing director. The Nuanced Life is listener-supported. Go to patreon.com slash thenuancedlife. For $5 each month, you'll receive an entire bonus episode of The Nuanced Life. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Dylan Garvin is the composer and performer of our ad music. For more information about The Nuanced Life and to connect with us through our weekly email, visit pantsuitpoliticsshow.com.